0: Today's scripture is taken from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses nine through 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evil doers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a 10th of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. May God bless the reading of his holy word.
1: Thank you, Pam. Wow. Um, uh, let me just pray one more time before we begin the sermon together. Father, we do thank you for um, the opportunity to be here, and uh, I just pray as we begin to look at your word together right now that you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to hear from you. May you speak your word to us, I pray that um, that my words would fall away, and um, only what you want uh, your people to hear would would remain. Uh, may we be transformed into the image of Christ um, as we come to you today. We pray in His name. Amen. So, for the last uh, several weeks, we've been doing a series. Um, on what what we've been calling true spirituality, uh, looking at some of the values of um, our kind of our modern culture and seeing how um, the Bible, how Christianity uh, speaks to those things. And um, this week we're looking at the idea of authenticity. Authenticity. Um, it's an idea that is is somewhat important in our modern culture. I realized as I kind of began looking into it, I'm not really an expert on modern culture, but, uh, but it's out there. Um, one of the authors I found says, authenticity is the value of our times. From reality television and self-help literature to expectations to find the real you in work, love, and relationships, Authenticity pervades contemporary social and cultural life. So, what is authenticity? Um, again, words like this you probably find a hundred definitions, but here's one uh, that I found doing a very academic Google search. Uh, so, here's a definition. Put simply, authenticity means you're true to your own personality values, and spirit, regardless of the pressure that you're under to act otherwise. You're honest with yourself and with others, and you take responsibility for your mistakes. So our culture is crying out that we would be authentic, um, not fake. You know, fakeness is a, a word that we hear a lot about as well. Um so if you want to learn more about authenticity, there's all kinds of books out there. Um uh, Authentic, How to Be Yourself and Why It Matters by Stephen Joseph. Another one, The Art of Authenticity, Tools to Become an Authentic Leader and Your Best Self by Carissa Thacker. Authenticity at your best, how to discover and uncover your true self. Or another one, Authenticity, a guide to living in harmony with your true self. And there's hundreds of others. Um, So anyway, clearly our culture is placing a high value on authenticity. But in reality, it's nothing really new. Um, You all have probably heard the line from... Shakespeare's Hamlet, to thine own self be true. Um, And my favorite is a quote from Oscar Wilde, who said, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. But unfortunately, we're not very good at having a true picture of ourselves There is this phenomenon called illusory superiority, which has been well documented for decades now. Um, And it is a phenomenon in which most people think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, or I should say than we ought to think. So I'm including myself as one of these guilty people. for example most people overestimate their iq uh in a 1977 study uh 94 percent of professors rated themselves as above average in in relation to their peers okay so 94 percent think they belong in the top 50 percent in another study of um, software engineers, 32% of uh, these software engineers believe that they were in the top 5% of their uh, colleagues. Um, another study, just a, a large broader study found that 65% of participants agreed with this statement. I am more intelligent than the average person. So 65% of us think that we are smarter than the average person. Now this is a little, um, seems like uh, men tend to have a little bit bigger egos than men because, uh, or men have bigger egos than women. Um, 70% of men think they're more intelligent than others, but only 60% of women think that they are above average. Um, Driving. A uh, survey was done um, uh, in Sweden and the U.S. And uh, in driving skills, um, 93% of people put themselves in the top half of driving skill ability. Okay, so 93% of the population thinks that they are better than everybody else. Uh, for safe, For safety, 88%. Um, final. I won't, I'm belaboring this issue, but the last one that I found interesting, a study amongst um, high school students um, in, in uh, the category of being able to get along well with others, um, 85% put themselves above average in the top 50% and 25% put themselves in the top 1%. So the point being, we have, seem to have a problem with thinking maybe we are a little bit better than we actually are. There's obvious exceptions, there's some people who who are wrong on the other side of the scale, but, um, but it seems obvious um, that there is a widespread illusion that we are better than those around us. Um, So while our our culture values authenticity, the truth of the matter is we don't really know who we are. We have a a false understanding. Um, We are deceived by our own pride. Um, So the text that we're looking at today is a very um, simple, really uh, biblical theme that basically says pride is bad, and humility is good. this is an overarching theme throughout the Scripture. That pride um, is a is a dangerous, hurtful thing, and that that the the um, the path to true spirituality is really the path of humility. So Jesus tells this story, and um, he kind of turns the societal norms upside down because. He describes the Pharisee. The Pharisee, of course, is the holy man. He's the one who does all the, the right things, obeys the rules. And, and um, he's the one who, in, in society's eyes, would, would appear to be the one closest to God. He's the religious guy. Um, the tax collector, on the other hand, was the worst of the worst, not only, you know, greedy and uncaring, ruthless, but also a, a traitor, right? This is a Jew that is working with Rome in the oppression of the Jews. So Jesus turns the whole thing upside down by, by um, summarizing the two prayers by saying it's the it was the tax collector who went home justified, uh, ultimately saying, you know, that the holy man's righteous works don't qualify him for the kingdom of heaven and that the one whose heart is right in our story is the one who humbly admits that he has this need for the mercy of god so true spirituality in this story as jesus would tell it is not doing all everything right but rather is humbly coming before god and admitting our need for him. That's really the heart of the gospel. It's what the gospel is ultimately all about. So um, three parts of our sermon. Every good sermon has three parts, right? I'm going to going look at what's wrong with pride. Why is it hard? Why is it wrong? What is true humil- humility? And then finally, look at the cross and authenticity. So what's so bad about Pride. Uh, again it's reading the passage it said the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus God I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners unjust adulterers or even like this tax collector I fast twice a week I give tithes of all that I get as we as we read through that prayer um you know, it just jumps out at us that it's really all about him, right? This is a prayer about himself. Um, it's It's a prayer because he does mention God in the beginning. You know, he says, I thank you, God. But then he goes on, the whole rest of the prayer is all about the things that this man does. He never asks for anything, right? Because he apparently doesn't need God for anything. His prayer is just a declaration before God of how worthy he is, of, uh, of God's favor um, but the Bible teaches us really throughout scripture that we are to live a life in dependence on God that that's the that's the appropriate relationship between us as creatures and God our creator is that we are, are to live in dependence on him he is the one who cares for us and provides for us um, In in the Lord's prayer right Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Acknowledging to God every day, even the very bread that we eat, is something that God gives. That that's not—it's not because of our hard work. This is a gift of God. Um, in this, um, just in Luke's, in the chapter here, Luke 18, the very next story we read um, is about Jesus' interaction with children. Um, and I'll just read it. it's a couple of verses. verses. He says, "Let the let the children come to me." And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. So, to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be like a child. Now, what does that mean? Is that you know? We have to wonder what what childlike characteristics do you have to have to enter the kingdom of God? And um, I think you know, some people propose innocence and and you know, children are just so sweet and pure. And I have to say, if you say that, you probably have not had children because children, as wonderful as they are, are about the most selfish people on the planet, right? All a child cares about is having his own needs met. And if he's not having those needs met, he's screaming his head off, right? So it's not innocence and purity, I think, that we're supposed to emulate, but rather dependence, right? Children are utterly dependent on their parents or on someone to take care of them. And uh, if, if there is no one to take care of that child, then they die, right? And, um, and that's what I think Jesus is, is asking of us, is instructing us by that, um, that saying is that we are to be as dependent on God as a child is upon his parents, so the prayer of the of the um, Pharisee doesn't show dependence; rather, it shows independence. Um, it's it's he's arguing his case for why he's good enough to pass God's test, um, is what it seems to be. Um, yeah, but it's also you know it's easy for us to be just like this Pharisee. This is the common. Uh, human condition, I think, Um, we look at the Pharisee and we look down on him for his prideful attitude, right? He's arrogant, he's prideful, and even in thinking that, we're doing the same thing, right? Oh, I would never pray that way. You know, I'm not as proud as the Pharisee, but that, that very thought in itself shows just how prideful our own hearts are. Um, so we are just as guilty. Uh, remember the remember illusory superiority that is so well documented, um, and even in areas where, in fact, we are superior, right? Because we do have gifts. Um, you know, there are some among us who are more intelligent than other others. Some who are more athletic. Some who are more musical. Some who are kinder some who are whatever you name it there are we are different and some are better than others but the question is where does that come from right where does that come from it comes from god did we create ourselves did we give ourselves the talents and abilities that we have no obviously we didn't i heard a preacher once say that we are all like a turtle on a fence post. Can you picture a turtle on a fence post? You've probably never seen one, but if you ever saw a turtle on a fence post, you would know one thing for certain, and that is that it did not get there by itself, right? It did not get there by itself. Somebody put it there, and we are all like a turtle on a fence post. We are, where we are, whatever accomplishments, whatever talents and abilities we have, we didn't give those to ourselves. They were given to us by God. And so we have no uh, room to take pride or take credit for what what God has given. Um, So the question comes, you know, why... Why do we struggle with pride? Why does it come so naturally to us without even trying? And I would argue that pride is a response to the fact that we all know that deep down something is wrong with us. That something is wrong with us. That, that we know what is right and good But we don't always do it. We're broken and flawed and we have a tendency to do the very opposite of what we know we should do. And so in response to this sense that there's something deeply wrong with me, we're on this never-ending quest to convince ourselves that we're okay. Constantly... In the courtroom, trying to prove to ourselves and others that we are that we are okay, that we're good enough, that we're better than others because of X, Y, and Z. Um, so we try to convince ourselves. We we look around at others and we and we pat ourselves on the back for being smarter or more athletic or better looking or kinder or shrewder or more patient or funnier or you name it. We find all those things to prove that we are better and to try to convince ourselves that we're okay. Um, And I would argue that spiritual pride is the most dangerous of all. When we look around and and we try to say that we're good enough, you know, we're, we're above average in spirituality, so we pass God's test, you know, God grades on a curve, and as long as we're better than the other guys out there, then probably we're going to be good enough for God, right, so as long as we can look around us and say, well, I'm, I'm doing okay, you know, I, I haven't sinned as much as, look at those people over there who are doing all these things, so, um Surely I'm doing good enough to be okay with God. Um, but in reality, pride, spiritual pride especially, puts us in God's place. It robs God of, of his rightful place as the one who gives us all things. Um, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It doesn't say that where pride is, sometimes there's destruction and where haughty eyes, there's sometimes a fall, but Proverbs says it's like a, it's like a train that where you see pride, what follows will be a fall. Where you see haughty eyes, arrogance, um, destruction will follow. So while that may be true in, you know, in our day-to-day lives, just in our own personal relationships, um, you know, we all know people who are boastful and arrogant and ultimately the, um, the damage to relationships that that does, the um, ultimately the uh, pride leads to destruction in terms of our relationship with God himself, uh, the most important relationship of all. Um, pride says like the Pharisee I've got this my spiritual life is under control I'm okay humility says I am desperate for the mercy of God and without it I have no hope humility is really at the heart of the gospel you know ultimately the only thing you need to be saved is to know that you need to be saved, right? The only thing that you need, you you don't need good works, you don't need a lack of sin or, or any other thing to bring to God, the only thing you need to be saved is to admit your need to be saved. That's what, that's what God calls us to is dependence, dependence on his ability to save us from our sins. So what does true humility look like? Um, in the story Jesus told, he, he said, the tax collector standing far off will not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. So again, Jesus in this story is teaching us that the way to a right relationship with God is is through humility. Um, And I would just point out, you know, that kind of a superficial look at this story, and even kind of from the the, our culture in general, um, we have this impression that humility means being downcast and self-denigrating, um, kind of wallowing in the mud of, of self-pity. Um, our, our culture does not think highly of humility. Um, Winston Churchill is quoted as, as reportedly saying about a, um, a political opponent of his. He said, um, he's a humble man and he has a lot to be humble about. Um, so humility in our culture can be seen as a sign of weakness, right? Um, but what does it mean for us as Christians to be humble? Um, I love a line from Tim Keller. He says, "He says being humble is not thinking less of yourself; it's thinking of yourself." Less right, humility is not thinking less of yourself as if we should put ourselves in the mud. Humility is thinking of ourselves less, and instead of thinking of ourselves, looking outward. Jesus, you know, the two great commandments Jesus said, um, the greatest commandments in the New Testament love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. They're outward looking. Our eyes, our focus, our lives should be focused on God and on others. If we're we're looking at ourselves all the time, we're consumed either by pride or by despair because we either think too highly of ourselves or we look at ourselves and we see all the problems and we're despairing because of the hopelessness in our own hearts. Um, It's interesting, again, Keller points out that in, in many cultures of the world and even in our own culture until fairly recently um, it was it was understood that too high a view of oneself led to all kinds of problems you know and we can see that pride arrogance we see it going on in our world today as we're all well aware um, but interestingly modern, Western psychology now teaches that the big problem that we face is not thinking too highly of ourselves, but thinking too low of ourselves. That we all have a problem with low self-esteem, right? Um, but that's not what the Bible says. It's not the problem is not that we think too highly of ourselves or too low of ourselves. It's that we think of ourselves too much. And that, and that the life that God is calling us to is not a life of, of navel-gazing and self-inspection, but rather a life of love, looking to God, looking to his people in, uh, outward from ourselves. Um, I want to talk about this concept of God, you know, commanding us to love him, right? Sometimes that sounds a little funny to think, you know, God commands us. The greatest commandment is to love God. God commands us to love him. The Bible, you know, throughout the Bible, we're told to praise the Lord. You know, why are we, why does God command us to love him? Why does he tell us to praise the Lord, to praise him? You know, is is God just so insecure that he needs that affirmation you know, is God looking for our approval? You know, obviously not, right? Um, but sometimes it might seem that way. But I would, I would suggest to you that God commanding us to love him is the most loving thing he can do for us. Because by commanding us to love him, he is, he is telling us to love that which is most lovely right he's telling us to recognize his beauty his goodness as what is the most truly beautiful and lovely thing in the universe he's teaching us god doesn't need us to to affirm him but by through his love he is directing us To recognize what is truly good, what is truly lovely, what is truly beautiful. He's helping us to understand how the universe works. Um, I think it's funny, you know, we we say, uh, praise the Lord, praise God. And in, in some Christian circles, I don't know if I hear it that much around here, but very often, you know, you say to a fellow Christian, praise the Lord, and they'll say back to you, praise the Lord. And um, it's funny because praise the Lord is actually not praising the Lord. Praise the Lord is a command, right? Praise the Lord. It's a, you know, grammatically speaking, it is an imperative. It is a command. Praise the Lord. It's like close the door, right? Walk the dog. If I say to you, close the door and you say back to me, close the door. And I stand up here and I say, close the door. And everybody else says, close the door. The door's still open. The door hasn't gotten closed yet. We're all just talking about closing the door, but nobody's closed it yet. So what does it mean to praise the Lord? What does it mean to praise the Lord? And I would, I would suggest that what it means is simply to give God credit where credit is due. Just in our daily conversations, as we're interacting with one another and with others, that we bear witness to the goodness of God, the power of God, the glory of God by just giving God credit um, in in our in our lives for the, the things that that He has done um, that we don't that we shouldn't get credit for, but that He should get credit for. And when we do that, we are bringing praise to the Lord by acknowledging um, His His goodness, His power, His. Gifts and goodness in our lives. So, just to wrap things up here, the last thing I want to talk about is um, the cross and authenticity. Um, So, as I've kind of mentioned, the danger of pride is that it it leads us away from dependence on God. Um, there's this assumption that God grades on a curve. So as long as we're better than others, uh, we're good enough for God. And, um, and the problem is we never really convince ourselves. We have to go through our whole lives trying to convince ourselves that we're, that we're going to be good enough. The very beginning of, uh, of our passage, it says, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt so that this phenomenon of of confidence in ourselves is only possible when we think we are better than others. C.S. Lewis um, said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud The pleasure of being above the rest, once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. So pride is all about being better than somebody. Just like in this parable, the the, uh, Pharisee had to say, I'm not like that tax collector. Um, Another Lewis quote that I like, he says, "As as as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So the proud man can never know God. So Jesus gives us this this prayer of the tax collector as, as an example of what true spirituality, true humility really is all about it is as i've said it it is like a snapshot of the gospel it's a focus on what god does not on what we do what the prayer was god have mercy on me a sinner right understanding of oneself and a right understanding of what god is what god does is he shows mercy to people who don't deserve it so our culture holds up this value in authenticity. Be yourself, be your true self. Don't be fake, don't perform, just be yourself. That's, that's where true freedom is found. And there's, of course, that, that's, there's a lot of truth in that statement, but the problem is that we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are until we know where we stand before God. And, and the most important thing to know in our relationship with God is that apart from Christ, I am a sinner. Whether I'm better or worse than anyone else is really irrelevant. Sin is, is the great equalizer. Uh, we may be big sinners or we may be little sinners, but we're all sinners. Our, our, our sin is so offensive to God that nothing less than the the death of the Son of God can save us. That's what God thinks about sin. There's no such thing as small sin. Every sin is offensive to God. And the tax collector understood that. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't try to give God his resume. Didn't try to prove why he deserved God's mercy, he knew he had nothing to bring to God except his need for mercy. But he also knew that God is a God of mercy. He recognized that God is what we need in our desperate situation of being sinners. Um... It may be true that our sin is so offensive that it required the very death of the, of the son of God, but it's also true that God loves us so much that he gave his son so that we might know him, so that we might be saved and have eternal life. So if you want authenticity, this is where it starts. This is the foundation of who we are, our identity. If you are a Christian, you are a sinner saved by grace. You are a sinner saved by grace. We're all the same. There's no place for pride or boasting in that position. What we are is a gift from God. Paul tells the Ephesians, he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Even faith itself, the very faith that we have that leads us to cry out to God is is a gift of God, according to Paul right here. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So we have nothing to give God but our need and our thankfulness. And even as we, you know, the message of the sermon today is... Pride is bad and humility is good and as Christians we should strive to be more and more humble and if, and if all we do is we say that and we say I'm going to be more humble I'm going to try to be more humble I'm going to set my mind on being more humble we will all fail at that because we can't do that on our own right just as we are saved by the grace of God we are also sanctified we are we grow in our in our spiritual life also by the grace of god so don't tell yourself i'm gonna i'm gonna put on my humility today cry out to god lord make me humble show me today how much i have to be thankful for to you and help me to speak in a way that gives you the credit gives you the glory for everything in my life If you're not a Christian, this is the amazing message of the Bible. This is what we call the gospel. You don't have to get your act together to get right with God. You can follow the lead of this tax collector and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The salvation... That Jesus has is for those who need it. Jesus himself said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's who Jesus is looking for. People who don't say, I'm righteous, and I deserve to be with you, Jesus, is those who say, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. So don't wait to get your act together to come to Jesus because you never will. Jesus invites you to come as you are. And when you ask him to come into your life, he will begin that work of making you into all that you were meant to be, all that God wants you to be. This is the path of real authenticity. Only in Christ Can you be who you were made to be? Only in Christ can you be your true self. Can you be your best self? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the the simple message of the gospel summarized even in this one sentence of, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, break us of our pride. Teach us. By your grace to recognize your hand in every aspect of our lives help us to be thankful people help us to be humble people that point to your glory in all the things that we do we pray in christ's name amen